I'm Devara Krasniansky from Adayat, and Shai, I'm really excited that we're doing this talk about dating for Shidduch Yu uh, Adayat. We've done so much about dating and how to prepare for dating, and there's always so many new questions that came in, so I'm glad that the topics that we're going to be covering today are some things that we haven't really discussed, so I'm really excited to be talking about that. So yeah. before we get started, Shaya, I just want to thank you for everything you're doing in Shalom Task Force and in your private practice. So thank let's you. talk a thank little you. bit about the work that you do in general so that you can get started on the topic. Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm the Director of Education for Shalom Task Force. Actually, before we even get into that, thank you for having me on. Um, th this happens to be one of my favorite topics to talk about because I think it's kind of looked at largely as a transitional phase. It's like first you're Kind of a single and then you're looking to get married and this is just kind of a way to get from here to there um i think that there's a lot that we can understand and a lot that we can learn from looking at how dating works and how relationships form through dating that you know we 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 we, we deserve to know about we deserve to take advantage of those opportunities so thank you very much for having me on and in general for the work that Adeyad is doing in the community promoting healthy relationships it's, a, it's amazing work and it's so necessary mm -hmm. Um, so I'm the director of education for Shalom Task Force, and as the name kind of suggests, and I'll tell you a little bit about the organization we've, we've worked together before, but for our listeners, um, the organization was formed about 30 years ago. We're actually coming up on the big 3-0, um, to support victims of domestic violence in the Orthodox Jewish community. And we have our hotline, which probably basically anybody who's opened up a Jewish publication over the past 25 years ago, I'm sure you've seen our ads in one form or another. Through the hotline, we came to realize that there are certain themes that kept popping up with people who have gotten into bad relationships, whether it's a matter of knowing that there were red flags and not allowing themselves to be aware of them, not really having a, a, an understanding of what to do about these things. So the education department was formed based on the idea that we can provide that kind of information to people before they get into relationships that are potentially not so healthy or, God forbid, abusive. And we can give people the tools that they need to be able to make decisions and to trust themselves, to acknowledge the feelings that they have, um, and to figure out exactly what to do with those feelings. So <laughs> we present in high schools, we present in post-high school settings, such as Bhakti Madras, seminaries, colleges. Uh, we go into shuls. We've spoken with Rambanim. We've done, I think, over the past three months, we've done trainings for therapists in three different clinics in the Brooklyn area, just understanding what domestic violence is, what it looks like, and why it's different from standard shalom bias type issues. Um, I do, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I've had the opportunity to do work like this, which is so meaningful and so impactful to so many people. <clears throat> so in our talk today, we're not talking so much about domestic violence, but like I said, from the work that Shalom Tatsum was doing, we, you noticed that there was a lot that could have been helpful in the dating, that could have avoided or could have prevented. So that's what we're focusing on today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like we, we would get calls, and we still do get calls pretty frequently, that someone's someone's in a relationship for however many years it is, or they've been dating for a long time, um, or they're, ma they're married for potentially 15, 20 years, and they say, listen, I, I remember this is what's going on, and I remember seeing these indicators when we were first going out. And it's just so important to know how to use the dating experience fully and not just to avoid those situations. Obviously, we want people to avoid these situations. Um, 
but also to be able to just maximize the experience and maximize the opportunities that they can get to grow the relationship at that stage. And so I think that's the key is to also to grow the relationship at that stage. The dating is not just to see if this is a good person. So, so the relationship starts from the first date or actually from even before the first date. And I think that's what we'll be talking about. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there's definitely there's definitely a lot to focus on even before you even start dating really. Um, you know, one of the things that one of the things that I, I, I like to talk about is that you want to be able to have a relationship with somebody else. You want to be able to have a fulfilling and solid and deep relationship with someone else, which is ideally what marriage is. You have to also be able to have a full, you have to have a, a, a good relationship with yourself. You have to be able to kind of have, <clears throat> like you think about it, you have a friend, right? And how does a relationship with a friend work? The relationship works that like, okay, I know that there are certain things that bother this friend. So I, I try not to get on my friend's nerves. I just know that there are certain things that my friend enjoys. So I try to accentuate those. I try to emphasize those. Um, and when we have concerns and when things just aren't clicking, we talk it out, we work it out, we you know, do whatever it is we can do. I, we have to, kind of, it, it may sound funny, but we kind of have to be our own friend also. We have to know what makes us tick. We have to know what our emotional backgrounds are like and, and what, basically what tools we're bringing into these kinds of relationships, because it's not, it's, it's, it's very interesting to me that so many times we have, um, so many times we have, we have, we have a, a real focus. I think there's, there's a cultural piece to that also, that there's a whole focus on doing chesed and doing for others and, and putting yourself out there to try to accomplish for others, but we kind of neglect ourselves. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting that the, the basis of relationships in the Torah, I mean, we have, we have a framework for what a relationship looks like. The Torah says, it says that you have to love your friend like yourself. And there is, I don't even know who says this. It's, it's a, it's a famous, it's a famous observation, but the basis for loving someone else the basis for having a relationship with someone else is you. The kamaycha comes first. You have to have, you have to establish that foundation before you're able to expand it outward. There has to be an internal sense of, of, of called self friendship or self love and self compassion before you're able to really go anywhere else with it. So that's really the first place to start when people are are, are looking around. People are looking for, um, people are looking for 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 someone to marry. You have to know who you are. You have to know what you bring to the table. And you have to really be aware of what you want and what would work for you. And I think that many people, it's it's very easy to put all these things down on paper. It's very easy to put these things down and say like, okay, I want this kind of person who has this kind of ideals. And to an, to an extent, that is a form of really understanding what you want. But before you even get there, you have to kind of understand that it, it's useful and it's helpful to understand why these things are important to you, what makes them important to you. And that's really where self-awareness starts. So like for yeah. dating, it's useful for to know who you are, but also on the one hand, to know who you are so you can tell someone to, uh, what you're looking for. But even more important is to know who you are so that what you bring into a relationship and maybe what to improve on. Um, and then okay. also... And also it's like, what to talk about, about yourself. And like dating is not a time to be humble. So it's uh, to be able to talk about the, some of, some of us keep ourselves really private and closed, but actually when you see it on paper, or even sometimes I suggest that people actually reach out to a few people around them. And like, what, what, what are six qualities about me? 
And you see that several people are saying that, that actually this is really reaffirming, but you also see that you should be talking about that and bring that into the date as well. So this whole self-awareness before dating can happen several months before and then even all throughout, and then even throughout the dating, this self-awareness. So the self-peace is really important. I, I yeah. see it over and over again. Like people just go into that typical list of what they want. And of course, everyone wants kind and everyone wants respectful. Like, it's like, if you have to use five things of what you want, it's like kind and respectful is of course. So don't even like put that on your list. So what is unique to you that helps the shot and helps, so that's sort of that, that reflection. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And I, I think the idea, I, I like that idea of talking to other people to see what they see in you. Um, the, the analogy I like to use is I, I'm, I'm sure you've put together IKEA furniture some at some point in your <laughs> life or something like that. Um, the idea is that whenever you're going in, you're going in for marriage, so you need two things. You need a blueprint, right? You need you need to when when you when you're putting together that furniture, hopefully they include some sort of a a manual telling you how to do it and <laughs> sometimes it's not so clear which kind of is, is actually kind of i think it's a perfect metaphor <laughs> yeah it makes it makes the analogy better i think um and they'll give you the tools to do it with right they'll give you the blueprint and they'll give you the tools so the blueprint is what you're saying okay this is what i want things to look like this is what i want to happen but also you have to go in with the understanding that the tools that you're bringing into the relationship with which to create that kind of relationship that you're looking for it's all yourself. You know, when we've done, we've done, um, we've done dating classes, I have this really nice graphic that um, it's basically a Venn diagram. And each of the circles represents one particular aspect of, of you as an individual. So you start at the top, there's, there's the physical, then we go to the emotional, the spiritual, the background, we talk about um, your values, what's important to you in life. We talk about your life goals. Where do you want to see yourself? What would you like to see yourself doing? And we talk about the strengths and weaknesses. And then the point where those things all overlap, that's you as an individual. You as an individual are some total of all these different aspects of, of the different parts of your sense. life. Um, and knowing what those things are, and you know, I'm not saying that it stops there. You're just going to go down, go around the circle in about 15 minutes. Like, okay, boom, that's who I am. Um, 25 years after birth, there we go. Um, it's obviously much more complicated, but it's a good way to really start thinking things through in a way which can allow you to get in touch with the things that really are important to you, things that make you tick, the things that bother you, um, particularly paying attention to the strengths and weaknesses aspect, because you have to know, again, the strengths are the tools that you bring, the talents, the skills, the abilities, and the weaknesses are the things that, that stop you, the things that are difficult for you. And it's important to be aware of both of those before dating. And I think just one more thing to, to, to touch on what you said before, the idea of starting this process a few months before dating. Ideally, and this maybe is more of a parenting discussion, but ideally, people should start doing this when they're much younger. People preschool should... is my thing. I always say preschool. <laughs> so the thing is, the thing is, preschool, it's interesting. Preschoolers are naturally very self-aware. Naturally, they are. They're, and I think that comes along with having pretty much zero inhibitions emotionally. Um, once we grow up, we grow older and we develop these inhibitions that kind of stop us from expressing ourselves. We get so good at inhibiting ourselves that we can almost pretend that these things don't exist. You know, almost pretend that these parts of us don't exist. And I'm not saying that, you know, we have to get in touch with our inner need to, I don't know, have the green crayon as opposed to the blue one. 
um, or to throw tantrums about it, but just to understand and to acknowledge and to validate yourself that there are certain things that you need and certain things that you're good at and certain things that you're not. Bring that kind of awareness into a dating relationship where you've been building on that ideally for a good long time um, can be tremendously helpful, not just for the relationship, but for you as a person going through that phase of trying to find the person that you want to build the relationship with. So we actually did a talk uh, recently with uh, Shlomo Berezin about journaling, and he gave some really good journal prompts to, 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 to this point alone. So if you want, you can just like look that up. Yeah, so, uh, I, mean, I love it. I love journaling. Journaling is amazing stuff. It's like, you know, it's, it can do certain things that just talking to somebody just cannot do. So it was a really good talk. So if anyone's listening, uh, you'll find it on the website yeah. or on the podcast. Okay. So I guess part of that journaling is also the idea of what is your vision for marriage or what are your concepts about marriage? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, and the, it really it really does come to that point of the self-awareness, I think, going through these, these ideas and these concepts are really going to kind of bring you around to the point where you know more strongly what you want. I think pretty much most people who decide that they're dating for the purpose of marriage have on some, at least on some basic level, hopefully, what they think that their home is going to look like. So there are two things. There's the having a vision. There's kind of knowing the what you assume relationships are going to be like, what you assume marriage is going to be like. And that is very strongly based on your own experience, whether it's your experience with your family of origin, whether it's your experience with um, other families that you may have been around and seen on an extended period, or even, you know, quite honestly, it could even be somebody who you had, you once sat at a Shabbos table at this person's family and you saw this really nice thing and you never saw the person again, but it stuck with you. So there's going to be certain assumptions and certain expectations about what marriage is going to look like. Now, sometimes those assumptions are very comfortable, very warm and fuzzy, and they're very nice. Um, sometimes those assumptions can actually be kind of scary or, or difficult to work with. Um, I'll give you an example. There was one person in a school that I was speaking with, a, a young girl who was, um, she was in our, our relationships class, talking about healthy relationships. And she mentioned something that really stuck, stuck with me. She said, yeah, I want to be a nurse, um, but I know that I'm going to end up being a stay-at-home mom. Because that was kind of what the culture was. That's her, her background was that this is what women do. Women our stay-at-home moms, and that's just it. But she wanted to be a nurse, and she, and she didn't say it with any animosity or any resentment. It was just kind of like a resignation, like, okay, you know, this is just the way things are going to happen. So this young girl had certain assumptions about what marriage is going to look like that were irrelevant to what she actually wanted. They were completely not connected to what she actually wanted. And that's really, I think, the first step in self-awareness is understanding what assumptions you're bringing in. When somebody says the word marriage to you, what does that mean? When somebody says the word dating to you, what does that mean? What are you expecting and what are you assuming is going to happen through this relationship? Then you can also start thinking about aside from and expectations and hopes are really kind of the flip side of the same coin. What are you hoping it's going to look like? What do you want it to look like? Understanding what that's going to be. These are important things to consider. And secondary to that, not secondary, but coming after that, uh, after understanding what your assumptions and your expectations and your hopes are, is the process of actually building a relationship. Now, this is a point where you start saying, okay, this is the lay of the land. This is what I'm assuming relationships are going to look like. And this is what I'm hoping relationships are, are going to look like. What's Is there a difference between those two? 
And what do I have to do to kind of bring it from one thing to the next? And I know this sounds kind of like not, not so much a, 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 a practical dating thing, and it's more of a marriage thing, but keeping in mind that the whole point of dating, there, there are a couple of different points, but the whole point of dating certainly is to be able to find somebody to marry. It's kind of like, I've heard it described as an, as an interview process for the job of spouse, um, which is kind of true to an extent. It is. It is. It's like a very, it's a very technical way of looking at it. It is, and it, and it does have that aspect, but it's, and it's certainly, it's also a matter of building a relationship. You're not just saying, is this a good candidate for a relationship? When you meet, you're actually, that's a relationship right there. And within that meeting, there are going to be certain expectations and assumptions and hopes for how the relationship is going to work that you're both going to be kind of looking at and trying to figure out and trying to build on. Um, and when you actually meet, that's where that second part of the, uh, that's where the second part comes in of actually proactively trying to work towards building a healthy relationship with each other. And that's the kind of the experimental part where you're saying like, okay, let's see where this goes. <clears throat> I want to circle back to what you said before about that you, your assumptions about a marriage. I know there are seven people that say, I, I, they can talk about what they don't want in a marriage, or some things that they've seen that they don't want. But what I'm hearing from you is like, you should really turn it into what you do want and then try to work toward it rather than just making a list of what you don't want. Like, I don't want to be like a whatever parent and I don't want to be like, I saw something and I don't want to do that. But knowing that what you don't want, I'm definitely not going to be like my parent, but without replacing it, without doing that proactive work of how are you going to be different, you may actually fall back to it. So, so not, not only knowing what you don't want, but actually yeah. formulating a, a, what you do want. Yeah, yeah, it's like the the the, uh, the, the line that always that, that that keeps running through my head when we get into this particular topic is replace instead of repeal. Right? You know, that was like the whole thing when they were discussing the whole Obamacare thing years back. I wanted to replace it with something else instead of just repealing it and seeing what would happen next. And I think the, that's that's really the key. If you're if if you're running away from something, you're never going to get there. You're never going to get to where you want to be. Whereas if you're running towards something then you'll end up getting away from whatever it is you wanted to get away from, but you're going to end up getting somewhere. You're, if, you, if, you, if you have a goal, you have a particular setup in mind, it's important to, it's impo certainly it's important to be aware of the things you don't want to happen, but it's more attainable if you can turn that into something concrete, into, into like a concrete goalpost that, okay, this is where we're going to get to. For like, some people, they end up falling back to the default that they knew if they don't have other skills. Like we can't even imagine the stress that our parents had, and that's why they maybe acted out in that way. But if you don't have new stress, uh, stress uh, skills, then you may fall back to what's what's most familiar. Right, right, yeah, and it's 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 a big deal. Like I've met with so many people who, um, so many people who are um, <clears throat> say like, okay, I don't want to replicate this particular behavior that my parents showed me when I was growing up. I don't want to be able to do this or this or this, and they're but actually replacing it with another behavior, replacing it with a more functional way of dealing with whatever it is that they're dealing with when they revert to those things can be very difficult because again, like that's that's what they saw, that's what they grew up, that's what they internalized, and it can be very hard to get through that. So I, I think when when designing when designing your own relationship, if you don't have those goals it can be much easier to revert. Because 
and and also kind of give, giving yourself a, not, not giving yourself a hard time about it because it is very hard to it can't be very hard to replace behaviors that are internalized and have been just kind of like the go-to way that you've seen it but by learning skills and by being aware of what you're doing and what you're looking for it is doable it is doable and especially when you have hopefully a supportive spouse you have somebody who who is is on the same page with you and okay we both want to get to this place where this is the way we deal with finances this is the way we deal with disagreements this is the way we deal with decision making um it's much easier to do it when you're both supporting each other in that. Well, I think it would be even easier to do it if you actually, when you notice it before you even start dating and you start getting experience and become experienced in better in better ways of coping. For sure. Instead For of sure. like saying, this is what I would like to work on with a spouse is this person, a person who we can work on this together, which is great, but it's even better if you come in with having years, months of experiencing it. I don't think that trying out something twice is enough. Right. Uh, but it has to really become the new you. Yeah. So, yeah. The, so the self-reflection, the earlier you can do it, the better. And if you can do That's that when you're right. in high school or a seminary or best measures and, and actually try out these new skills with friends or peers or parents and just get become, let it become the new you. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I, I think it's important just to acknowledge that no matter how much you try things out with friends or with family or with parents, understanding that the relationship that you have with a spouse um, or someone who you're seriously attracted to and are interested in 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 continuing to date is going to be very different than it might be with a friend it's, it's going to be just a very different kind of relationship because sure. you're more emotionally invested there's more at stake and there's more kind of riding on the success of this relationship and ironically when you have that kind of a situation where there's more riding on the relationship succeeding people tend to feel more stressed out about it. When people feel more stressed, they're more likely to revert to the old way of thinking. Um, so it's like, just again, just kind of like giving yourself like, certainly self-awareness and foresight and knowing what you're looking for and having goals and discussing those goals, super important, but also understanding and not driving yourself bonkers, thinking that 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 okay well i'm just gonna be perfect from now on because i've made a decision the way i want to be it takes work definitely so for finances if someone is going to say that when i get married i will become responsible with my spouse but meanwhile in all these years before it's just spending or not saving or just credit card debt like it doesn't work you really have to start becoming that person yeah of being responsible for with money if that's your goal but uh not just saying when I when I I'll find someone who will help me become responsible. Right, right. Yeah, it has to, it has to be, it, 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 and that that kind of speaks to another thing that I, that is really important for people to be aware of uh, surrounding marriage is that I, I forget who said it. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to say names of who might have said it because I don't want to get the name wrong. But it was it was one of one of the big rabbis who speaks about about Sean Bias, and it's such a true point. Marriage is not a hospital. Yeah, when if we have if we have an issue, and it could be a very low key issue, it could be a much higher profile issue that we know that we need to fix and that we want to fix. Don't count on marriage to fix that for you. Who you are is who you're going to be when you're when you're married. So whether it's a matter of leaving your shoes, um, I don't know, in the wrong place, or leaving socks on the bathroom floor, or having a serious addiction issue. Marriage is not going to change that. And you have people need to be aware of that. And people need to 
think about the things that they want to change and think like, okay, right now, what are the small steps that I can take to address this issue? Whether it means, I don't know, putting a cleanup chart in the bathrooms, make sure your socks don't stay there, or whether it means um, getting a therapist to help you work through whatever it is you need to work through or anything in between. And it just, it just, being proactive about the steps that you can take. You know, being married is not going to fix your behavior. It's going to give you a different environment in which that behavior will come out and impact another person who you care about and want to make them feel good about the relationship also. So that's, I think, an important thing to bring out just about, again, about this, is, and this is even before getting into the partial, before getting into dating and forming relationships, like, okay, who are you? Why do you think you need to get married at this point? Why do you think you need to start dating at this point? Are you ready to date at this point? Is this something that would be good for your good for your development, good for your self-growth? And there are many people who who um, there are there are people who rush into dating because of societal pressure. There are people and the and over time that they're dating, they'll realize like, okay, I'm not meeting the right person, and I'm also kind of feeling relieved that I'm not meeting the right person because in my heart of hearts, I really don't feel like I'm interested in getting married right now, um, which quite honestly, it's it's a personal decision. Nobody should be dating and, and looking to get married just because other people tell them it's time to get married. It's like, it's, it's such a personal thing. It's such a personal decision. You need to really be able to have that self-awareness and allow yourself to have that self-awareness and acknowledge those feelings that come along with it. Um, and, and make a decision which really is the best for you as an individual. Yeah. The people, yeah, the people who the people who are able to do that when they do end up getting married are more likely to have self-aware relationships, to have the ability to communicate openly with their spouses because they know what's important to them and they know what they want and they know how to and and they're they're okay with that. So that's it's it's an important skill to have. And even before dating, that's something that really should be thought about. Right. And the self-awareness goes all the way through marriage because there's always going to be things that you bump into each other and say, what was my role in that? What did I do? Or, mm -hmm. And, and all, all of adult, not only in marriage, but like, what was my role in that uh, that meeting or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's an important skill. So we were talking about that the, during dating, the relationship begins. So let's talk a little bit about how relationships build. So it's an interesting thing. Like there, There's almost a process. And I've seen a bunch of different... Um, so, uh, I, I guess you could call them processes that are described as how relationships build. But I think that what it really comes down to is like this. When, so particularly in our camp, when you're meeting presumably for the purpose of marriage, you're looking to get married, you know a little bit about each other just on paper. You know, some research has been done. <clears throat> so you're going in basically to see what the experience is like. And I've also called the actual dating part of the research process um it's it's you're 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 not just want to reiterate that anything you find out in research has to be rediscussed re in dating but there's nothing to be assumed that is 100 accurate because you found out i've right, seen that right these are all things that you have to like kind of keep in mind you should be aware of and unless something is like momish scary to you um well actually i'm going to take that back take everything that you hear in the research process and acknowledge it and see what it's actually worth to you even on paper. Um, and then if that pans out, then you're keeping in mind that the actual meeting is also part of the research process. And what are you researching when you're meeting? You're researching what it's like to spend time with the other person. You're researching how you feel 
around the other person. You can't feel anything when you just see a name on a paper, even when you see like, I know a lot of people send out pictures with resumes these days, which is a whole other discussion, which I'm not gonna get into. Um, <clears throat> but you can't feel real attraction towards another person just by reading the resume and seeing a picture of them. It's, it's not, it doesn't work. So part of, part of what the process of creating a relationship at least in, in in this sense, a romantic relationship is you'll 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 meet up with the person. There's going to be there, there there may be some sense of attraction. There may be some sense of like oh, okay, I want to spend more time with this person. And attraction doesn't have to mean like full blown, over the moon attraction. In that like I must be around this person and stare at this person for the rest of my life. And that's not what it means. I think that's another whole discussion to get into about like the role that attraction actually plays in building relationship and the fact that many people in, in, in our circles don't necessarily feel so comfortable acknowledging attraction as being as important as it actually is. Um, but that's really where it starts. There's attraction. I want to spend more time with this person. That could be on any number of levels. There, obviously, the most obvious one is physical attraction. It's like you step into a room and you see somebody and the person looks good to you and you're attracted. You feel like you're drawn to the person to an extent. That's something which creates a, a sort of a sense of connection on some level. So you're attracted, then based on that attraction, you're gonna start looking for things to be able to trust the other person with. You're looking for things to allow the other person into your life on. Because again, attraction is making it that you want to spend time with the person and creating a, a, an emotional connection is a way to guarantee that that, that, that does it. And I'm, and I'm not saying that this thought process takes place on any conscious levels like this is just kind of like goes from one thing to the next and like it, when we spell it out like this it kind of sounds a little manipulative but that's not what it is um it, it's you're, you're looking for things that you can trust the other person on you determine okay this is something that that i feel pretty safe about because really that's the the basis of any relationship is safety um so you're looking for something that you can that you feel safe letting the other person in on and then you open up about it now, opening up this whole idea of sharing something about yourself, um, regardless of how mundane it is or how not mundane it is, you're basically making yourself vulnerable. You're taking a risk. And if you want to understand how relationships really work, it's basically a process of taking calculated risks and seeing how they land. So let's say first date. There's, I know there's some acronym about like things to talk about on the first date. I don't remember what it was. Um, I don't know. It's like, I don't know. It's like Aristotle family. I don't know. It's like a whole family, food, and philosophy. Could that be. Joke? Could be. That old joke. Yeah. It's it is an old joke. I don't even remember what it stands for, but I know that there are like certain basics of what's talk about on a first date. So let's say let's take food. Food is usually a very very safe thing to talk about, unless somebody's like very passionate about I don't know their pizza. Um, Usually they're not, but let's say, so, so you start thinking like, oh yeah, I like, I like food. I like whatever it is. What do you like? So I'm sharing something about myself. I'm opening myself up just a tiny little crack and I'm seeing how that lands with the person that I'm out with and hopefully it lands well. So now I see, okay, this is a person who I can take small chances with. This is a person who I can share little bits and pieces of my life with. And there's a chance that it'll land well. And as the relationship builds, as you're going out more and more and you're becoming more closely connected, your willingness to take bigger and bigger risks or 
risk sounds bad. So let's call it your ability to allow yourself to be more and more vulnerable with the other person ideally is going to increase. And this is really kind of a cycle because so we started off with attraction, that there's a reason that I have that I want to connect with the other person. Then I'm looking for things that I feel safe opening up about, reasonably safe opening up about, and that I trust that the person will react well to. And then I open myself up and I, become, I allow myself to become more vulnerable. Hopefully there's a positive reaction from the other person. They'll be supportive or they'll be interested. They'll be excited. They'll laugh at my jokes. They'll take the things that I take seriously, seriously. And that increases the sense of safety. So now I feel like there's a stronger foundation of safety underneath all of that. And the funny thing is that having a stronger sense of safety increases your level of attraction. So back when we were talking about that Venn diagram, so it may start off with physical attraction, may start off with that aspect of the personality. But when I'm feeling increased safety, I become somebody who's also more emotionally attractive because emotional safety is very attractive. Then we're talking about we're talking about philosophy. We're talking about what we're hoping for in life. We're talking about our goals, and all of these different things become attractive to me. So one thing, and and so it's it's not just a matter of physical attraction. It's not just that that the guy thinks the girl looks nice, the girl thinks the guy looks nice, and 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 that's that. That's maybe potentially a foundation for the relationship to start. But once the relationship starts. You start to discover attraction on all sorts of different levels. And that and, and finding that attraction allows you to look for more things that you can start feeling safe about and to take bigger and bigger steps towards increased vulnerability. And that's really how you create, and that's how that's how relationships are created. That's how healthy relationships are created. So what we want to do is we want to be able to give that opening give that 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 baseline for okay where can we start off and technically speaking it doesn't it doesn't really necessarily have to start off with with physical attraction one, one of the things that that um when people ask often when we talk about dating is like if i don't like the way she looks or i don't like the way he looks um is that like uh is that like a is that a deal breaker and the answer to that is that it's not necessarily a deal breaker let's say a person goes out on one or two dates and they're not, they're, they don't, they're, they're not blown over, but you know, they have basically a good time. They have decent conversations, um, saying, well, I don't like the way she looks, or I'm not, I'm not actively attracted towards her. Or, I'm not actively attracted towards him is not necessarily a deal breaker. If there's like a sense of like, oh, ugh, I really, really hate the way this person looks. Like, I don't know, they have like, I don't know, three eyes or something Then yes, that might be a deal breaker if you're if you're feeling like repulsed, then yeah, that might be that that could be a deal breaker. But if there's not if 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 it's just a matter of feeling like, oh, there's nothing like particularly special about the person, that in itself is not necessarily a reason to say, no, I'm not interested. Because again, as the relationship builds, you're gonna find attraction hopefully on other fronts. Now, if you're going out for a while and you're seeing that, okay, nothing's happening here, then it's worth evaluating. Okay, is this something to pursue? And what are and are there other reasons why I feel that I should not be pursuing this? It's something, but it's something to talk about. So does not necessarily talk to the to the other person. I don't like the way you look. There's something to talk to somebody else. Yeah, no, you got it. No, I, I would not suggest having that conversation directly <laughs> with the person. Um, but yeah, this is this is where this is where it's it, this is one of the reasons why it's so important to have a mentor who can really 
have your back, somebody who you trust implicitly to really not be pursuing their own agenda. Like what we mentioned before, there's a lot of pressure to get married. And sometimes, sometimes they, the, the people who are giving you the pressure to get married or where you're feeling that there's pressure to get married from are the people who you would hope are really in your corner and are able to give you that kind of support. So it can kind of be a, 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 tough, a tough thing to do. Find somebody who really has your back exclusively and is not interested in anything other than your own good. Um, but it can it, it it can be really helpful to have somebody to speak these things out with. Like I remember there was one phone call um, that I had at one point talking to this guy about his dating situation. And he's like, he's, he's, they've been out on a few dates already. And he's like having it going, I don't know, I don't know. And I said, do you like the way the person looks? And it was like an explosion of relief. It's like, no, I don't. <laughs> like, so like there, there's, there is a piece of that and it's important to acknowledge it, but in and of itself, it's not necessarily something to say like, well, off the die, like, okay, I don't want to do this. So what about that advice where, you know, the attraction comes with the, the, after you get married, the advice that some people are getting or some people are giving. What, what was that? That the, the advice of, um, everything makes so makes so much sense. He's a great person, or she's a great person, and you enjoy the conversations. Don't worry that there's no attraction. The attraction comes after you get married. So I, I think it's important to 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 really explore what it means that you're not feeling attractive. It means because let's say let's say a person like let's say I feel comfortable with this person, but I'm not comfortable when I think of what it would be like to introduce this person to friends or to family. What is it that makes you uncomfortable about that? Because uh, like very it's, it's very obvious that in that kind of situation, there's some projection going on, that there's something that I myself am not comfortable with, and I'm assuming that everyone else who I introduce this person to would also not be comfortable with it. So once we're able to acknowledge that and look at it as like, okay, this is not something that they're necessarily going to feel it. it's something that you yourself are feeling. That's something to think about. And you know, obviously it's not the same thing as being repulsed, but it's also it's it's an issue which does need to which does need to build. So I would say that there has to be a foundation of attraction there. And yes, hopefully by the time you're 60, you're more attracted to each other than you were when you're 30. And when you're 30, you're more attracted than you were when you were 20, because hopefully your relationship is building and building and building. So yeah, there is what's to be said about attraction building, but there has to, there, there has to be something there to begin with in order for that to happen. So this, should they go out more and see if there's something else? Or I mean, like the advice of this, like, don't worry, everything makes sense on paper. And you'd be so lucky because it's got such a great guy, such a great girl, such a great family, such a great setup, the whole deal. So what if you're not yet attracted? So I would say that you have the, the answer to that would be is that our, our family doesn't exist on paper. And like, yes, it's very nice on paper. And if we're writing a book about them, that would be great. We could make up great characters and they could be beautiful people and do a lot of chesed and have all the good milas that we hope for in spouses. But at the end of the day, we have to actually live with this relationship. And if they've gone out a few times and they're, either, and certainly if they're repulsed, but even if they're just not feeling it, then there's something to think about there. That, like, okay, why are you not feeling it? What's what's really going on? You got to kind of look under the hood to figure out exactly what it is that's, that's, that's holding things up. So what I'm hearing then is that don't just 
go with that assumption of that it will it will grow and don't just dump it because you're not feeling it. Like really explore it. Look, there's patterns that you do you get to a certain stage in every in many dating relationships and then stop here. But there's the things to actually evaluate. Yeah. Yeah. Make quick decisions one way or the other. Right. Right. Pressure decisions one way or the other. Yes. Pressure decisions are never good. It's like, you know, Shadhan's not going to call up and say, um, like, <laughs> this is a 12 hour deal. Call us back by midnight. And, you know, um, I've heard some things like that. He's going away for the summer. Do, is it now or is it over? You know, right. and it's sort That's, of like a 12 hour deal. Yeah. And ideally, ideally, people should not be working like that. That's well, the, sometimes it's also not only from the shotgun, it's like one side is ready and the other one is still trying to figure it out. So then there comes pressure. Right, right. So it, it's, it's and that's, that, that's again, just to come back to that idea of not making decisions because of pressure, not making decisions because other people are telling you you must make a decision. The decision to think things through is also a decision. A decision to say, I'm not deciding right now is also a decision. And then based on your decision, the other side can make their decision. You know, like it's 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 not it's not like nothing. I, I don't think anything is, is ever productive when it's a pressured decision. There's no there, there's a lot of gray areas, and people have to kind of be they have to be given the space to sort these things through if they need to. And if that doesn't work for the other side, then the other side makes their own decision about what that means. Right. Then you can make your decision about what their decision is, but even so, the whole idea—if you have to make a decision based on the other person's decision, based on decision—then it's—that sounds to me—is another word called pressure. Oh, it is. It is, and there is pressure. And I think I think it's incumbent on us to to be as unpressured as possible. I mean, like the, the whole thing is already pressured. The whole idea of like saying, "Okay, I'm going to meet somebody for say nine, ten, three-hour dates—that's a grand total of knowing a person for a little over a day—and than saying, hey, you want to spend the next 100 years together? That's a big decision. It's a big deal. And, you know, and, and, and Baruch Hashem, there are so many people who have so much fun doing that and they, it, it flies and it just goes and they, they build a great relationship and they're confident in their, in their decisions and, and they have absolutely no, no ambivalence whatsoever. And that's great. It's a beautiful thing. And there are many people who need the ex who, who need a little bit of extra space and need a little bit of relief from that kind of pressure. So, giving people that space and understanding that people need to make that kind of decision is very important. I want to circle back when you said safety. Okay. I want to like define what safety and trust looks like in a day when you really don't know someone so well. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. So, when we talk about safety, and we're not we're not just talking about physical safety, though that's, I think, the most obvious one. Um, I think that that when we talk about safety, what we're looking for is knowing that it's okay to have your own opinions, knowing that it's okay to share your opinions, trusting that you're going to be respected regardless of whether you disagree with the other person or not. There's actually a great quote, and I think that this is a, a good way to jump into um, the discussion of safety and trust. I, I came up with this line uh, two, three years ago, and I find myself consistently coming back to it just as a way to describe what a healthy relationship is. The quote goes like this, I will invest myself into the relationship to the best of my abilities in a way that helps you feel safe, secure, cherished, and loved. I will do this in a way which does not compromise my ability to feel the same way. So when we're talking about safety, I think the basic of safety in there is 
the idea that I trust that you have my best interests in mind, and I trust that you're not going to do anything to challenge my best interests. So that's not saying that there's no conflict. It's not so, saying that there's no disagreement or argument. I mean, let's say you have a couple that's 22 years old. They've had 22 years worth of experience, which is completely divergent from each other. It's like completely different. It's completely separate. Start with genders. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of differences there. There's a difference in upbringing. There's a difference in family life. Like difference in you're saying before assumptions, expectations, hopes. All these different things are, are going to be different. You know, obviously, if they're if people if a couple's going out, then presumably there's a sufficient overlap to make it something to think about. But even within that overlap, there's going to be differences in how how you think about things. So when we talk about safety in terms of relationships, what we really mean is the the understanding and the feeling secure enough in the idea that the other person respects me as an individual, respects my right to have opinions, respects my right my right to express opinions, to want things to be different than they actually might be right now. Um, and to understand that when I set up certain boundaries in this relationship, when I set up certain um, things, certain rules in the relationship, then those rules or those expectations are going to end up being respected. So understanding that if I say, <clears throat> you know, this is something that, um, that 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 comes up in, in dating sometimes. Like, let's say you'll have two firm families and um, one family trusts one hasher and the other one doesn't. So they're going out to a date and the restaurant that they're going out to or the ice cream shop that they're going out to is uh, under is under that hasher. So somebody who doesn't feel safe, somebody who doesn't feel secure might not be able or willing to say, I, we don't eat by that hasher. Somebody who does feel safe, who knows that their opinions are going to be respected, might feel, might, would, would, would feel like, oh, we, we don't eat there. We go someplace else. And so that's like, and that, that's like a very low-key example. It's like a more mundane example of it. But the whole idea of being able to say, I am not comfortable with this, or I am comfortable with this, is very important. You know, I mean, it comes up a lot, and I think it's one, one of the things that I think doesn't really get spoken about so much, the idea of the struggle of, of being Shaimunagiya when, when dating. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're, you're in a very close relationship, and you're attracted to each other, and humans are human, and they want to hold hands. They want to do things like that, and it can be very sometimes difficult to not do that so what what do you do when you have one person who really or when you have one person who doesn't feel like being shimer and the other one says no i do feel like being shimer so that's something it's something to think about these are these are boundaries do i feel safe enough saying i do not want to hold your hand right now or i would love to hold your hand right now but we're not going to because this um anything along those lines really you know, boundaries, boundaries like that, being able to set boundaries and being able to discuss the boundaries that need to be discussed is that 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 that's really what contributes to that feeling of safety. Um, I find I find it's very interesting. I find that when we talk about boundaries, a lot of times people have this idea that boundaries are like, oh no, you did something wrong. Now I have to set up a boundary. And truthfully, it's not really like that. Boundaries are actually a positive thing. Um, you think about it like this. Um, you can go back a couple thousand years, you had big cities that had fortified walls around, right? And you had certain doors, you could get through the walls into the city. The walls serve two functions. 
one function that they serve is I'm going to keep the bad guys out. I'm going to keep people out who I don't want getting into the city. And the other thing that it serves is it serves to define what the city is. You look inside the walls, you can see there's this, and there's this, and there's this, and this is all part of the city. This is what makes the city what it is, what gives the character to the city. And it's really the same thing with boundaries in a relationship. When you have strong, healthy boundaries, it's not just about saying, like, okay, Sharonikia is not allowed. Kholostam is not allowed. This is not allowed. This is not allowed. It's not just a matter of saying this stuff is not allowed, which can feel very prohibitive. It's also about defining what your relationship is. So when you're saying, and just to come back, let's go, go back to the Shemir Nagia thing. But when you're saying as, as, as a dating couple, we are going to be Shemir Nagia, and that's the, that's the boundary. Okay, but what does that say about what your relationship is? It could be that what that says about your relationship is that we have feelings for each other and would like to hold hands. And we both value this idea of not doing that until we're married. So that looking at it that way is like, oh, wow, this is a really beautiful thing. Acknowledging that boundary can accentuate an understanding of what this relationship really is. And aside from that, it, it also kind of provides just a greater understanding of what is in the relationship. Okay, what can we do? We can't do that, but we can do A, B, and C. You can do all of these different things. And looking inside the relationship to acknowledge what it is can really gain you a new appreciation of what is available as opposed to what's off the table. That makes sense. I, I remember talking to, I think it was with Shana, also from the Sheldon Task Force, about that you know, you should not commit to marriage until you have some conflicts, until you have worked through, made decisions together, until you actually had an uncomfortable conversation, like not making everything super smooth, but looking to see and, and have an experience and experience each other disagreeing or having different perspectives or working through with some sort of conflict. So when challenges come up, not to make not to infer, but to actually go back and have this wonderful opportunity to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's 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 such an important thing. Like there, there certainly I, I totally understand why sometimes couples will bring the shabchan in to discuss things. I, I get it, but at the same time, think about it. If you're if you're at a point where you're really interested in this person and you know the other person is interested in you, part of having a relationship is being able to navigate conflict. I think uh, John Gottman, who's a famous family therapist and researcher. He has done research over the course of a few decades, I think. He's worked with thousands of couples just researching, seeing what makes couples tick. And he determines that a ridiculously high percentage of arguments that couples have, the successful couples, the ones who have good relationships, a ridiculously high percentage, I think it's like 69 or 70% of the arguments that they have, the issues that they're arguing about will never be resolved. So you have a couple that gets married at 20, and they could be arguing about the same exact thing for a hundred years with no hope of ever resolving it. I will always say that you should put the toilet paper roll on this way and you will always say the other way. And like, whatever it is, whatever the argument is, whatever the disagreement is, it's, it's going to be there. And to accept that conflict is a fact of life and not just a fact of life, it's important to have conflict. The, the trick is how to navigate it, obviously. You have there, there's a good way to navigate conflict, and there's a way which is just not productive at all. Um, but the idea that people are going to try to avoid conflict as much as possible or to, to avoid 
uncomfortable conversations as much as possible. I, I think is I'm not going to say it's setting yourself up for disaster, but it, it, you're you're going to end up getting a rude awakening at some point because marriage is, has a great deal of conflict in it. It just does. You know, on experience before, just to see that how how we can do this and that we can do this. Because mm -hmm. you, know, you, you may be able to call a shot for the first few weeks after you get married, but like at some point, you're not calling somebody else in. Like it's yeah, oh, I'm not even talking about marriage. I'm not even talking about well, well, like while you're married. I'm saying like you know, earlier on, early on in the dating process, like, oh, could you communicate to him that this was okay, but this wasn't? Or, oh, could you communicate to her that I like that, but I wasn't so thrilled with what she said there? Like, it happens, and I think, like, I, I understand why, but, like, once it's further along the dating process, certainly in engagement to marriage, there should be at least a discussion about how you're going to disagree. There should be at least a discussion about what you want to do when we have major disagreements, whether it's a matter of, like, one, one thing I heard was um, a couple had, like, a notebook in their kitchen um, that whenever they had a major disagreement, they would just, like, write down on the notebook, I feel this way, I feel that way. So... It was a way of avoiding an uncomfortable potential confrontation while still expressing what they're actually feeling. Now, I'm not going to say that that's going to work for everybody. It might not. But the idea of having a, an agreement on how we're going to navigate difficulties on going in with your eyes open and understanding that this is going to be something that we're going to work on together, that in itself I think is, is tremendously important, even if you don't actually have a specific argument or disagreement that you want to that you want to actually navigate so that comes back to the safety that you feel safe enough to have that conversation not to hide behind the shotgun or yes. not not bring it up at all and just hope it goes away or hope i get used to it or hope that it's really just i'm seeing it wrong right right because it's a long life of hope it goes away because it doesn't usually go away yeah yeah so take, I mean, the, I take the opportunities like something as small as a, a conflict of schedule and to talk through that themselves rather than bring it to the shotgun to work out when they can meet again right right like, invite those those or be you know when it shows up it's a wonderful opportunity you don't have to make an artificial conflict but maybe you should i mean i don't know like what do you think about being safe enough to bring up something to see how they respond so i think i think that if, it, if it's a genuine thing and you feel safe enough bringing it up then go for it you know, you have to do it in the right way. You have to do it in a way which you're putting as a priority the idea of respecting the other person's right to have a different opinion, the other person's right to have a different idea. But yeah, totally. If 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 you have something that you're honestly concerned about or honestly thinking about, what would make you not want to bring it up? And like really thinking about that part, like. Oh, is uh, so I, he's doing this thing that bothers me, but I don't want to rock the boat. All right, what's rocking the boat like for you? What has rocking the boat been like for you? And how, how has it happened before in a way which has not worked out? What messages have you learned about rocking the boat that makes you more willing to endure discomfort than to be assertive for what for this other thing, which is obviously important to you? So, like, just thinking those things through. Um, a, a nice, a nice part I like to say on this. Like, we have this culture where people are told, "Be mevater, you know, don't worry about it. Be mevater, give up on it. Don't, you know, don't, don't make a big deal." If you look at the shorish of the word mevater, and I've, I've run this by a few people, and I've, I've gotten some some solid agreements. 
um, the, the shirish of the word mevater, same as the shirish for the word yoser, which is which means extra. So like, if you're able to honestly determine that something is extra, that means I don't need it. And that's fine. Be mevater, give it up, let it go. I like it's that. extra. I don't need it. But if it's not honestly extra, what's what's going to happen by being mevater, so to speak, is that you still do need it. It's really not extra, and it's going to sit there, and that need is going to breed resentment and upset, and that feeling is going to come out in some other way. So by not consciously bringing up these uncomfortable conversations, by not consciously being able to deal with the disagreement, you're just making it so that the disagreement is going to come out in a completely different way, and it's going to end up being part of the other stuff on the camel's back when the straw breaks it. So then also the thing is like, what's the worst that can happen is that, especially we're talking about during dating, not, we're not even talking during dating. Yeah. The worst that can happen is that you'll see that you're not compatible, that you can't make this work. Right. You know, right. And the best thing that can happen is actually you can resolve it. And many times, I think more than, more than we think that there's a really an easy way to resolve it or they just didn't know and they were totally willing to make that change. Right. Or just like, I found some of the most, the nicest words is I'm sorry, I didn't realize. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. just a wonderful way of being part of a relationship. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I always encourage people to go back into the go back into the dating and have that conversation. Definitely don't infer, don't make right. any assumptions, don't sort of infer that it will go away or that this is absolutely something that is a deal breaker because you don't really know about it. You're making all kinds of assumptions about it. And you right. have this wonderful place to have this conversation. Usually at, from these conversations, people you become more aware of, of the relationship, the relationship gets a little tighter or you become aware that this is not going to be a relationship. Yeah. And I just want to, yeah, no, I just want to accentuate that point. Like the idea of uh, what you're basically saying is that you can take this conflict or this, this disagreement or this discomfort and use it as a way to not just resolve the discomfort, but to really make the relationship closer. You know, one of, one of the things that I think people don't realize is that conflict is an opportunity. Conflict is an opportunity to bring your relationship closer together and to make it tighter. And I think, as you said, specifically in the dating phase, if you see that conflict, that the way the other person handles conflict is not in a way which is going to make your relationship closer, then that's something to think about. But like, if, if I go into a conflict, if my wife and I have a disagreement, and even though after we discuss it, I feel like I didn't get anything of what I wanted in a practical sense, but I felt like I was respected and I felt like I was, I, that, that, that my wife listened to my point and made me feel like I have a right to have that point. Even if I don't end up coming out with anything that I actually wanted from the conversation, I will still feel like our relationship is stronger for having had that experience. So, and certainly in a, in, in a dating experience where you can, you can look at that kind of a conversation, either again, it's something that is going to bring the two of you closer together, is going to make you have a stronger appreciation for the other person. Or you can see that, oh, well, this is what conflict resolution is going to look like. Maybe I should be rethinking my stance here. Maybe I should be looking at the relationship as a whole in a slightly different light. It becomes part of the big picture. That's on the experience side of the working through the conflict, but sometimes you actually have to talk it through and you find out that whatever it is, is actually that's something that, that resonates with you. It doesn't, won't work in your life. But either way, just to know that. Yeah. So there's the experience and then there's the actually the information, but not having the conversation, you won't have that information. Right. That too. Yes, definitely. And also conflict, I think, is a way of bringing curiosity into a conflict as a way of getting to know the other person. It's like, For sure. And I think, and especially in dating, it's like all about getting to know the other person. So 
this conflict is sort of like on a silver platter for you to have all of these of what we just said, this is the experience of conflict resolution or not, or and also the curiosity and the relationship building. So it's like this platter that was given to you, right? It's yeah. here, here you go. Yeah. It's not a it's it's maybe it's starting it may feel like a, a little blip, but or a bump or a hurdle, but really it's really good for the dating. I mean, not to yeah. not to have too many conflicts, but then decide what you want to do about having so many conflicts. But that yeah. there is a conflict or two, I think is really important for the dating. If it goes almost too smooth, then I sometimes wonder if people are not really sharing all of themselves. Right, right. I think that I think that that's something that like if you're really paying attention to your feelings, like even if you don't end up having a conflict, if you're really paying attention to your to your feelings, you, people people know deep down they know what the other person is about after they spend some time together. Yeah, and like and a lot of a lot of a lot of the issues that come up is because people don't allow themselves to pay attention to that. So we'll go out for like four or five dates and there will be something maybe that bothers me, but I'm willing to sweep it under the rug because I invalidate my own feelings or because I feel pressured or because of like any number of reasons why I could tell myself, you cannot acknowledge that particular feeling. But I mean, even on a, on a, neuro, a neurological level, people register emotions on other people faster than they register the actual verbalization. So like, let's say I say something and the other person has just like a split second reaction on their face. That's that's registered on my emotional, I guess, satellite, let's call it, on my emotional radar. I've picked up that and I've interpreted it on some level and I have a feeling that corresponds to that interpretation. This is, and, and then all the rationalization kicks in and we decide whether we wanna actually accept that or not. Even if it's not a conscious decision, we kind of like either we'll sweep it under the rug or we'll look at it and say, like, oh, okay, I felt uncomfortable, but I know it's because of A, B, and C, and I'm okay with that. But people, people tend to have a good idea of what people are about. So even even if you're even even if people are not actively disagreeing, and I'm not saying I'm not saying stay away from necessary conflict, but even if people are not disagreeing if they're not actually having a conflict they're not actually having a communication about specific difficulties people will are generally able to get a sense of who the other person is and make decisions based on that if if they're being aware if they're being open to the to and that's to, the key because yeah. i've seen some people that listen to the words but he said but she said but there's so much of communication is in the nonverbals, is in the tone, is in the body language, or even yeah. the timing of like when they brought it up. It's like sometimes mm -hmm. says something. So there's so much to pay attention to as part of experiencing and not only finding out the information of what of the wording, but like really paying attention to the whole communication that's happening. Yeah, yeah. And then and then tuning in and the, and then ideally some sort of journaling or reflection after the date. So you actually tune into, on the one hand, what I found out, what what more I want to find out, what more I want to share, what I said and I want to clarify. And the other hand, also tuning into the experience. And what yeah. was it like? Yeah. And it's sometimes, and I know some shall kind of want an answer by the next morning, uh, but sometimes it takes longer to work it all through. But yeah. just as a courtesy, let them know that you weren't working it through, you're not ignoring them. That's Yeah, no, that's for sure. You know, just to be a mention about it, but also get, you know, be, be a mention to yourself also. Give yourself the time, the space to think about it. And especially when you need it. Especially when yeah. there's things to really, sometimes we just know there was really, it went really well. Mm -hmm. And then we can take time to like reflect about like what I want to find out more or what I want to build on or what I want to 
like because for each date it's worth coming in with the goal of what you at least would like to find out what you would like to share about yourself right right it kind of goes back to what you were saying that it's an interview for the spells to the role of spells but there is a certain amount of not just letting the conversations flow that's not how shelf dating works it's kind of like really working toward marriage does this make sense for marriage not only do we enjoy each other's company right right because there's a lot there's a lot more to marriage than, than just like okay we, we, we can have a good time together and you have to be there has to be a degree of compatibility um I, there, there's one mass amazing story I, I don't know if you're familiar with the book lieutenant burnbaum it's an art scroll book came published a while ago it was about oh, a like a while, a long while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is one of the one of the early art scroll books. Um, it's about a from soldier in World War II, an American soldier, and it goes through his whole. His, it's a, it's not just about his war experiences, though. That's a, a nice chunk of the book, but it talks also about his upbringing. The one thing that sticks with me, like amazing thing, when he talks about his parents. So his mother was a from woman, and he talks about how his mother met his father. I forget exactly what his father was doing, but his father was, was not a from person. His father noticed his mother and decided, okay, I, I want to court this person. I want, I want to go out with her. I want to marry her. And she was adamant, like, nope, you're not, you're not from, I'm not, nope, not happening. They ended up getting married. He was not from, she was. And like, if you look at it on paper, there's like, how did, how did they do that? And the only way that you can make a marriage like that work, and they did make it work, um, was that there had to have been a degree of such respect and regard for each other they're like okay you're this is this is not my way of doing things but i respect that you're going to do it this way and they made decisions about how the house was going to be run and how the children were going to be raised and all that so even though on paper it looked like there was like a certain incompatibility there's like there there was that core of compatibility based on com complete mutual respect so like when Marriage is not just about having a good time together. It's about compatibility. It's about respect. It's about being able to, um, it's about being able to live life together, which is, again, more than just having fun. So it's like, there are definitely these other things that you need to think about. Right. This has been so helpful. There's so much more about dating. And we'll continue the series and uh, we'll reach out to uh, Sean Task Force about the red flags. We'll do that sooner than later. Yes. Uh, now that I have you as uh, here uh, from Sheldon's House Force, can you just give us the hotline number? Because people do may need it during dating. Yes, so I think it's definitely. really important. So Sheldon's Task Force, so we have two services, actually. One of them is the um, one of them is the hotline, which is you call and you can actually speak to somebody. We also have the, um, the text line, uh, which is text compatible. It's WhatsApp compatible. So you can call that as well. Um, and have and yeah, have support that way. So the number I'll give you the number. This is uh, 888-883-2323 is the number for both of those services. You can text or call those numbers, um, and you know whatever and whatever the whatever the, the concerns that you may have about your relationship, or if there's someone else who you're close to who's going through a tough time in their relationship, um, you can call up. You can share whatever's going on. Um, gets potentially get some guidance referrals for therapists or other services that that may be necessary based on whatever the situation specifics are so it's not only for uh, suspecting abuse it's just any any difficulty in a relationship so we've we've had a lot of people calling in 
they, they think it might be abuse and you know we talk through these things sometimes it isn't sometimes it isn't um then you also have um and you also have people who are calling in because they're concerned about friends or family or things like that and we've all we have had people calling in saying like oh i just went on this date like i'm not really sure what to make of this um i'm just kind of like hashing it out that way so in other words don't don't think it's only about abuse if you're uncomfortable don't see if it's don't try to rate it is this abuse or is this just 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 you're able to call the hotline yeah yeah okay this has been so helpful thank you so, so much, much for impact and i look forward to talking to you to the more from some task force in general so uh thank you so much Ishaya. thank you that will be in touch all right thank you okay